0: Hey, what is up, guys? Hey, this episode is a good one. We had Stephanie Medford, the CEO and president of our local Ronald McDonald House Charities chapter here on the show. Uh, She talks a lot about innovation, especially in the nonprofit world, but she also talks a lot about how to get your people engaged, how to build a good culture. Uh, It's a really great conversation. I encourage you to listen to the whole thing. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, feel free to reach out to me, leave a comment, or uh, email me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. I'll catch you guys next week. I'm really excited for today's episode. We have our first interview, and it's with a good friend of mine, someone I admire quite a bit. Uh, We have Stephanie Medford here today. She is the CEO and president of our local Ronald McDonald House Charities uh, nonprofit, and she is phenomenal. And she's going to be sharing a little bit about leadership. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about innovation today, especially innovation in the nonprofit world. Uh, If you've been listening to me lately, you know that we've been talking about how innovation can be this really sort of vague, ambiguous term. And I'm really excited for uh, Stephanie breaking it down into a lot more uh, tangible approach for people in their businesses. No pressure, Stephanie.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah.
0: So, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Yeah, it is very early. We have our coffee.
1: Yes, Which thank is you.
0: always great. Very good. And uh, Stephanie and I were talking about how this is our, both of our first time doing something like this. So uh, it could be really phenomenal and it could also be very awkward and weird. So we'll just <laughs> see how it goes. Hang
1: in there because you'll get some good information either way. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So Stephanie, I want to talk about Ronald McDonald, but I also, I, I think just to give people, uh, here's what I love about Stephanie, if you're listening, is that Stephanie is probably one of the most relatable people that you can talk to. And so, um, Stephanie, I, I, I'm excited because I know that you're going to give people not just a really great uh, view on Ronald McDonald, but also like what does it mean to be someone who's like in a really what I think of as like a fancy title position. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like mm-hmm. the awesome CEO, mm-hmm. president title, yeah. And then for people to know how down to earth you are, and also I think I think they're going to really appreciate your um, your approach to business. Mm-hmm. And I and I. I say that really intentionally because I think I think you do a great job of not falling into the nonprofit mindset, mm-hmm. uh, which we're going to talk a little, a little bit more about today as well. Um, but but now that you're on the show that we're talking to you, um, talk to me a little bit about because um, actually I don't really know your story. And mm-hmm. I kind of know like the last year and a half, two years, because yeah. I've I've you know, obnoxiously continued to try to work <laughs> with you.
2: Uh,
0: well, you know, what, where have you come from professionally? You know, what's kind of been your journey? Mm-hmm. You know, talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I've worked since I was 16 and um, volunteered since I was about 12. So I've been doing stuff in the whole nonprofit space since I was about 12.
0: Okay. So let's, let's start with that. Okay. Yeah, so you're a 12, yeah. you're a 12 yeah. year old and what, what happened?
1: Well, I just, my mom, um, you know, quite honestly, it's probably from her. She's a registered nurse and has a huge passion for impacting people and service. And so I would say, you know, mom always kind of took me along and showed me how other people lived. And not that we lived some crazy, lavish lifestyle, but, you know, I was able to see people who maybe even, you know, had less than I did. So I think I always had an appreciation for What can we do to make things better for other people? And, you know, as cheesy as it is, I was a Girl Scout. So that whole (laughs) idea of leaving something better than you found it. Uh um, And, you know, that would have been even earlier than 12 years old. Um, But anyway, so I think that's still a mindset that I have is... How can I leave something better than I found it? Sure. And also, I think that's motivating and it's um, kind of innately in me as a driver. So anyway, so I did lots of volunteer work. And then my first job, like paid job as a nonprofit, was in college, uh, actually at the local um, Boys and Girls Club. Oh, cool. Cool. And so I learned a lot from doing all those things. And I've been a part of a lot of nonprofits over the years, mostly as a volunteer, two or three as paid jobs. So I think I saw a lot of what was out there and what was happening. Some of these were big national nonprofits, so I kind of got to see what was happening on a national level and how that would trickle down to a local level. And then some of them were really small local nonprofits. Um, one that I volunteered with a lot in high school was the multicultural center locally, um, which I'm not I don't even think they exist anymore. I think they're kind of a hybrid of something else now. Um, but anyway, so I got to see big national nonprofits, small nonprofits over the years. and I think didn't even realize until, Pretty recently, how many little nuggets I picked up along the way from all of that, that helped me now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's funny you say that because I think, um, you know, we all know like our own like mess and junk. And so we don't yeah. realize like how far we've come yeah. and what we've learned, you know. And I think
1: you have to take all that. Like, even if it happened when you were 12 years old, it could impact you enough to where you've carried it with you and it somehow formed something you're going to do now.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I talk a lot about, um, and it kind of throws people a little bit when they ask like where I first started, like in leadership and coaching. And I talk about how I was a camp counselor. Yeah. And how that taught me a lot about leadership. Sure. People are like, camp counselor, summer camp, what? I think the important question though is, did you get discount cookies when you were a Girl Scout?
1: Oh no! Okay. But when I was a Girl Scout, it was two fifty a box, okay. and I don't remember exactly what it is now, but it's like triple that. Yeah, things so were I simpler. I will that. say that they were simpler.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and I, you know, let's go ahead and jump into the nonprofit conversation because I, I think here's, and let me share a little bit about my perspective as just sort of an outsider. Why? Well, I, I, it's probably unfair to say outsider. So I've worked with Young Life, which is a nonprofit, mm-hmm. worked with them for probably about ten years now, and so. I have a little bit of an understanding of how nonprofits work. I've also, through my job, worked with about two to three dozen nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And Ronald McDonald oh, wow. is very different. And it it kind of throws me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of why I sort of continuously say, hey, just do, you know, just do what Ronald McDonald is doing. And I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's naive. Maybe it's unfair. Uh, but talk a little bit about, you know, your experience with, the nonprofits you've come through mm-hmm. and, you know, you don't have to
3: Yeah. the <laughs> name, name. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. But,
0: but surely you also kind of recognize, OK, like the way we do things mm-hmm. is it's not like a lot of nonprofits. That's
1: right. And, you know, the truth is I try to tell people that um, one of my former um, jobs, one of the biggest things I learned was what I did not want to be as a leader. And I refer to that a lot. And it was a hard uh, sometimes I had really hard days where going up against really difficult personality types, really difficult culture Mm -hmm. that was constantly evolving. It was very volatile. Um, There was a lot of turnover, which is a whole nother issue. And I really learned so much about what I not to do or what I didn't want to do or what I didn't want to be associated with. So the really neat thing that, and I never thought I'd leave there because at the time I just kind of thought, well, this is what it is. It was actually, you know, one of my earlier jobs. So then whenever I came to Ronald McDonald House, I really had this opportunity to say, you know what? There's kind of a blank slate here. I actually started here almost 10 years ago now, which is crazy. I was the only employee and now we have over 30. Wow.
0: I didn't know that. So
1: yeah. I was the only uh, employee. My office was like a closet that had one electrical outlet that they converted into an office. Um, one of our local donors was like, hey, we're going to give you space. You know, you don't really need a big office. You don't have a lot going on, you know. Um, <laughs> so, hey, here's a phone. And and, and and my phone system was part of theirs. So, like, if you called my office number, I didn't have a direct mm. extension. It was their business name. And then people would be like, I'm trying to reach Stephanie with Ronald McDonald House. You know, so anyway. Mm. It was kind of funny how all that started Um, about a year later. I was like, okay, I think it's time for us to go on our own, which was a huge culture shift. I mean, there's, there's so much that you could talk about just in that first year, but that's how it started. And then where we are now with five different locations, over 30 staff members, you know, we've really, really come a really long way. So I was able to kind of build things. um, and, And that's, that's, that's me. When there is nothing left to build, that's when I'll probably need to find something else. Um, mm. Hopefully that's not for a long time. Anyone yeah. on my board is listening. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, but what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love this mission. So yeah. that helps. But at the same time, I love the autonomy mm. that we have been given as an mm. organization to grow, to create the culture that we want, mm. the support that we've been given to do that. And, you know, Ronald House charities is in 63 countries and regions around the world. And we're a local chapter. And the cool thing that I like about Ronald McDonald House that has, again, allowed us, like I mentioned, autonomy, is Ronald McDonald House Charities globally is super innovative. We're, we're trying to be. But at the same time, our global office, which is up in Chicago, has recognized, hey, we need to let the local markets figure it out. Like we've got some guidelines like with mm. our brand. And and I understand all of that. And that way mm. we have a really unified mission and all that around the world, which is actually really cool to be a part of a big picture like that, but at the same time, they've been really respectful of, you know, we don't have to send them our donors. We don't have to, they don't have nothing to do with our governance. Like I said, beyond branding and licensing, they're there as a support. So that's one thing that sets us apart on that international stage is that we've really been given the autonomy to do what we need to do locally. And then there's a lot more that sets us apart, I think locally. And a lot of that has to do with what you and I are talking about all the time, with culture. And really what I like to say, and I stole this from Peter Brinkerhoff is that we're a mission-based business Mm, and everyone who works here. Yeah. And Peter always says no money, no mission.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: why you have to operate like a business.
0: Yeah. Well, my mind is like running now because I have like eight different where places I want to go with what you just talked about
1: podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, there's, there's so much that I want to unpack there. And I, so I want to talk, I love the autonomy conversation, Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about, um, you know, the the national brand of Ronald McDonald. It also makes me think about even business owners, even small business owners yeah. who don't aren't really sure of what it looks like to give autonomy to their team. Right. Um, what I think the direction I want to go, though, is I want to go back to that first year because mm-hmm. this is like the conversation everyone always gets into, especially if they're like a new business owner, if they're doing something on the side, uh, especially if they're trying to start a nonprofit. Yeah. It's how do I start and actually be successful, right? And I think anytime anyone starts something, you have like all these daunting statistics, like you know, seventy percent will fail, you know, in the first year. It's something like you know, only one in three businesses are successful. And I was thinking about actually when I started my business, uh, I had two good friends, one who started a real estate brokerage, Mm -hmm. and the other one, uh, Jordan Wright, started Wright's Barbecue, and they're both super successful. And I was like, well, dang, and statistically, yeah, I'm the odd man out.
1: Oh no. Right? And so but so
0: you have all these like dawning statistics. Yeah. And but but everyone wants to know how do I build it? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so you talked about yourself as a builder. Uh, let's let's go like way back to that first year. First of all, what what made you say yes to because I, I know you were with another really mm-hmm. great oh, organization. Yeah. yeah. And you know, obviously could have stayed there and could yeah. have continued to grow in your And I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so what let, let's start with just what what caused the switch? Why did you take kind mm-hmm. of this leap of faith of mm-hmm. I'm gonna be this only employee? Um, you know, we're gonna have yeah. this makeshift office. Yeah. I mean, surely at some point you kind of thought, you're know, like, what am I what yeah. am I doing? You
1: well, know? and some of people in the nonprofit community that knew of the board that I was going to work with, um, the board of directors and knew some of the big key donors and key members of that board were like, So how's it, what, what do you think you're how's it gonna be working for them? Mm-hmm. And I was like. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, let's not make it negative right yeah. from the start. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> let's go see what we can figure out. So I think for me, the, there was a person in the position um, the before me, my predecessor, she had been there maybe a year, year and a half. She was a longtime friend and she worked part time and um, she was decided she wanted to be a stay own mom. She was having her first child. So she kept sending me the job because she knew I knew a lot of people in the nonprofit world and, and they did a national search, couldn't find anybody. And she kept sending me this job description to share. And finally, one day she was like, why don't you apply for this job? And I was like, oh, no. So my previous job was just strictly fundraising, annual giving, uh, giving circles, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's I just wanted that one direction. There's so much in the whole world of fundraising you could work in for mm-hmm. years and years and years and never, you know, tap into everything. So I really thought that was the direction I was going to stay. And then I thought, gosh, but going over to be an executive director, president, CEO, I got to do everything. Like I got to be a part of everything. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't think that's for me. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, so she kept sending and and finally she encouraged me to apply. So I got on the website for the national organization and I looked at the mission Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is okay. I, I can totally get behind this. And quite frankly, for me, and I think this is true for most people, and it's a conversation my husband and I have a lot, too. I really believe with all my heart and maybe this is, you know, I don't know, a sensitive side of me, but if you don't have passion for what you're doing, Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's going to work. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so stinking passionate about selling copiers. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: maybe you're passionate about the sales process. Yeah. Maybe you're passionate Mm -hmm. about building relationships with customers through Mm -hmm. that sales process. Maybe you're, maybe you really are passionate about copy machines. Like, I don't know. But I think you have to figure out some piece of it that you're really passionate about Mm -hmm. because that way, when the bad days happen and the good days happen, you Mm -hmm. can stick through it and you can see that light of, oh, it's really tough right now, but there's a why for, which I, I think the whole, what's your why is a little bit cheesy, but Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're talking about. Totally. Yeah. Is what are you passionate about that drives you even when it's tough. Mm -hmm. So that first year, um, I had a board of directors that was so passionate and so awesome, but they'd kind of been doing this thing by themselves. And I was, you know, kind of the first full-time executive and, um, you know, young And I think that they um, hired me for a reason, right? But at the same time, I think there was a lot, I had to do a lot of my own work to earn that trust Mm -hmm. and to build those relationships and let them know that they did hire the right person and we were in a good position. Mm -hmm. And I was so passionate about the mission and so driven about the mission that um, I just decided to figure out, okay, what can I do now to where I'm not just going to completely turn the ship around and a bunch of people are going to fly off. Mm -hmm that are important people that I need and what can happen later. So for example, there's a project that I've wanted to do. I'll just tell you, it's update our bylaws since I started almost 10 years ago. And this has been the first year that it's felt like the right time to actually like, let's do that now. And so I think that that's part of it too. When you're going to start a business, it's like, okay, what can I do now? What's right in front of me that has to happen now that I have the resources for, I have the time for, I'm not going to piss anybody off. And do those things first. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, we always talk about at the office, you have a later list. So your later list might be years from now, but mm-hmm. go ahead and put it on your list, you know, yeah. and that way you don't forget to. And then someday when you get to do it, you're like, this is so cool. i just check something off my later list. Yeah, <laughs> You know, so I think you really have to, to be organized, passionate and diligent about what can I do right now with the resources that I have that's right in front of me.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think what's what's kind of strange about like the whole passion conversation is like, no one would ever disagree with that. Like no one's gonna say, like, yeah, eh, right. Don't follow your passion. It's
1: fine. But what's what's yeah.
0: really weird to me is is people, they are I guess maybe passive about following their passion. Sure. You know, and I and I get it from like the whole cliche of like, you know, live your best life, you know, yeah. chase your dreams type deal. But but I also talk to a lot of people, and it's not just like business owners, but especially like Middle managers who are yeah. kind of stuck in a dead end yeah. job and they say like, you know, well, it's not really what I want to do, but I guess I'll stay here for the next five years. Why? You know, yeah. and it's it's I, I don't really um, I don't mean this like, uh, you know, like, you know, haha, those losers. But, mm-hmm. but I it's just interesting because because everyone knows what you're talking about. Everyone yeah. agrees. Sure. You know, everyone I, I've never met anyone who would say, no, nah, I don't follow your passion. Agreed. Uh, you know, or maybe they'd add the qualifier of uh, follow your passion and make a living doing mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and uh, I get that. What, what do you think keeps people from, and I don't know if it's like fear, I don't know if it's just scary. I mean, what, what keeps people from taking the leap and actually following through with, with what they want to do, which, you know, whatever that passion is?
1: Well, I think it's totally fear. So there's a really cool book called The Fear Cure. And it was written by a doctor in California. She was an obstetrician. And so her passion was delivering babies and helping women and people become healthier. And then she kind of had this big epiphany about um, fear and how much that controls you physiologically as well. Like that connection between, you know, illness and all of those things when you hmm. live this life of fear. And some people don't even realize they're living that life of fear. Um, and so well, her-
0: let's, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to pause right there because that's I think that's a really interesting yeah, Point two is like, you know, and it's even beyond like the conversation of self-awareness of like, wow, I'm a jerk to people, but like yeah. even, and you, you hear it like in the cliche of like limiting beliefs, but, yeah. but like people who operate out yeah. of a fear mentality. Oh my gosh. And it actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned that now, because when I started my business, I had two different groups of people who were very vocal. I had a group of people who were like, Get it, yeah, who yeah. were like, oh my gosh. And then I had people who were like, dude, what are you doing? Like people who would pull me aside and be like, how are you
1: going to pay your bills? Yeah. And like,
0: what's your wife going to, is she going to leave you? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like, you know, and I, I remember looking at those two groups being like, okay, whoa, what, what is this all about? And I remember one of the people on, on this side said, you know, some people just have a fear mentality and even with other people, they can't help, but be fearful of even your circumstances.
1: Like it is a culture. It's interesting. It's a culture. And it's, it starts when we're really young, in my opinion. And even sometimes at work, like, Mm. I'm not kidding, when you get down to the things in our culture that we're still working on, you know, we're still working on candidness, we're still working on, we probably always will be, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Communication. Why do those things not happen? It's real easy. Everyone would tell you, well, I don't want to go say that to that person. How are they going to react? That's fear. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't um, want to bother her with that. Well, why don't you want to? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to disrupt her or she's going. All of it's about fear. Mm. And so I think it's, and what happens, and so this book, and there's a lot of books about this, but what happens that physiolog, that fear, and then the connection with your body is you go into that like fight or flight because that's, you know, how we were made. And so I think one of the things that I try to think about from it is, is this really, sometimes you, there's really something to be afraid of, you know? Um, But sometimes it's, okay, is going and talking to this person, worth what it would take back in the caveman days to be running from a woolly mammoth that's coming to eat me. Because your body reacts the same way. Yeah. That's how we were made. Yeah. That's how God made us. Yeah. And so, you know, you kind of, when you think about it like that, you're like, oh, okay. I can totally go talk (laughs) to that person. She's not a woolly mammoth. Yeah. I'm going to survive. Yeah.
0: She's not going to murder me. Yeah.
1: So I think it's about
2: perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because it gets me thinking about, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's why I, I kind of rag on the corporate world so much is because the corporate world is so big on like driving numbers and results. And the moment you get on this kind of conversation, it's kind of like, well, we don't really do that soft skill stuff. And yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it's really not it, that that's a word that sort of diminishes what we're really talking about. Right. And like Simon Sinek gave a really great yeah. Ted talk on, uh, or maybe it was some talk. I don't know what it was. He says and, a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it was all, he was like drawing these circles of like, what are the things that people really want? And the main one was safety. Mm -hmm. People want to feel safe. And I know. There you go. I can can name people I know. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, right. You know, or like my job's, you know, what does that even mean? Yes. And I think it's because we don't understand like how there's such a barrier to actually being like a productive you know, uh, a person who can go, you know, all uh, a well-oiled machine. It's hard to do that when, yeah. at the basic level, you fear, you feel fearful.
3: Yeah. Right.
1: And I think there's parts of your life that you need that safety and security. You know, I think there's parts that if you can make it a routine, if you can make it a situation where that safety and security is kind of built in, then great, do that. But then there's parts of your life that, you know, if you're not getting out there and if you're not taking some risks. You know, I mean, gosh, look at all the financial guru guys. I mean, what of them would tell you, you know what, don't take this risk? Mm -hmm. You might make $5 million, Mm -hmm. but you know what, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You're good with your 100 grand a year salary Mm -hmm. and just do it. No, none of them would tell you that. And look how successful they are. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that it's, you know, but I'm sure they have areas in their life that are super tight, safe, secure. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Well, and I I think, um, you know, something you, you do a great job pointing out too is just how, and I've been talking a lot about this lately of how there's a lot of big businesses that, so so companies are falling off the Fortune 500 at a faster rate than ever.
3: Oh, I
0: didn't know that. And, and, and me saying that makes it sound like it, like every day you lose one. Oh my gosh. It's just when you look <laughs> at the history of the Fortune 500 yeah. and you look at sure. the last 10 years, It's the list is changing quicker than ever. Now, part of that is because our our just like the market is it's so much faster. Oh, yeah. But on the flip side, it's because big brands are um, really risk averse Mm -hmm. and they're really unwilling to try new things and really unwilling to actually engage with like an innovative idea and a new idea. Yeah. And ultimately they pay for it because these smaller businesses, i.e., like an Uber who comes up with this idea of, yeah, this is how we're gonna do it. We're not gonna have a single car. And 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 it it was so revolutionary that now you have all these other businesses who are copying you know the Uber model. It's like oh we just need to do yeah, you know, we just need to Uberize our business and it's like yeah,
1: Uberize. What does that even mean? Love it. You know? well the other day one of your podcasts I was listening to and you mentioned Blockbuster and Netflix. Yeah, right. Perfect example. Right. That nobody wants when you can have it's all about convenience mm-hmm. in 2019. Yeah, we're all paying for convenience mm-hmm. because we can. Right. And because, like you said, everything's just faster. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of innovation and change. Like, it's mm-hmm. just whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, mm-hmm. it's what's happening around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, why does it feel like nonprofits struggle with this conversation of innovation? Culture. I mean, it's it's just, it's just, it's, and I think part of this is that nonprofits in general just even struggle with, like, having even a basic business approach. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many nonprofits, I mean, you know, too, because I'm sure you have a lot of friends in the nonprofit oh, world yeah. who, you know, you get on the conversation of like, what's revenue look like? Well, we don't, we don't call it revenue. Yeah. You know, and it's like. Well, uh, we don't
1: really know what our annual operating budget is. Yeah. It is just what it is. Yeah. And it's oh, like, okay. Well, the lights yeah. are
0: still on, right? And no. it's like, okay, well, and, and it's hard to understand the connection to your impact, right? And so, yeah. um, and maybe that's where we need to start is, is, okay. is why do nonprofits struggle so much with A business mentality.
1: You know what I think it is? At the end of the day, I think as nonprofits, this is totally, you asked my opinion. So this is 100% my opinion. No research, no data. Nonprofits are looked at. So, okay. Who's on nonprofit boards? A lot of times it's board businessmen. In the community. Yeah. And women, I should Mm -hmm. say, men and women. So business folks Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the community. Mm -hmm. And who's been on nonprofit boards for years and years and years? Okay, so just think about that. So who's driving the governance? Who's driving the culture? Yes, Um, the culture should be driven, I think, by the working staff with support of the board, of course. But my point is, in a lot of nonprofits, that's who is driving the culture. Now, so you would think, well, great, they're all business people. So that's why they're doing it. No, nonprofits are looked at as like the, the service arm, Like we're the nice, sweet, super ethical, we're do-gooders, we're servants, we're taking care of people. So if you're, you know, this is going to sound bad and we might have to take this out of the podcast because you're (laughs) going to get a lot of hate mail. So like Mother Teresa, okay? Amazing. I have chills saying Mm -hmm. her name. Amazing example of service. She didn't accept any money for what she did. She didn't. And you know, that's fine. That was her mission. That was her passion. That's Mm -hmm. what she wanted to do with her life. But I think that that's a foundational belief in nonprofits is that we're all just do gooders that are doing things to help other people. So, mm-hmm. why? I'm a human too, mm-hmm. just like that business person. And so is all my staff who works their tails off to mm-hmm. provide those services. Mm-hmm. But we're looked at differently simply because we're a service based business
3: mm-hmm.
1: versus, you know, Walmart yep. or whomever that's selling goods or products. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. Who are some of the higher paid people in the world? Doctor. Well, not in the world, maybe, but it, an industry that is a high paid industry, doctors, dentists, orthodont, all those people. Well, they're servants. Mm-hmm. They're helping impact people's lives, make people healthier, help people make better choices, whatever it is that they're doing. And nobody bats an eye at paying them. Mm-hmm. But they're going to bat an eye at paying nonprofit folks or thinking of nonprofit folks, earning revenue, generating Uh income, all of those things. Uh And why? How is what we're doing any different? Well, I'll tell you the two things that make us different. If somebody gives us money, so if they invest in our business, they can write it off on their taxes. And the other piece of it is that we don't pay federal income tax. And then there's like some charitable immunity, like in the whole legal world and some things like that, which I've never really seen that make it like really help anybody that much. Uh Um, And quite frankly, should that exist, like, oh, hey, nonprofit, you made a mistake, but you know what, you're a nonprofit, so we'll just slap you on the wrist, you get some charitable immunity versus no, you stole money, (laughs) you're held to the same standards as everybody else. So I I think, though, I really think that in the nonprofit world, it just goes back to that whole idea of we're do-gooders and we're helping people and we're making an impact, so we're in a different class as any of the rest of the world that's generating income and Mm -hmm. making an impact. And we're the smallest portion probably of the workforce that is generating a lot of income. You know, I don't know what percentage of all of our GDP is generated by nonprofits,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: but what are these corporations doing? They're all giving to nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So like everybody sees the value in it. Everybody Mm -hmm. sees, you know, why that's important yet. We're still kind of, Put in this pigeonhole of we should be looked at or treated differently.
0: Which is interesting because it's like um, it's almost like this this mother Teresa effect of, hey, we want you to help the society and whatever function yeah, you're doing. That's
1: your job, not our job. Yeah. And but we'll give you money to do it.
0: Yeah, but we don't want to pay we don't want you to take the money. We yeah. want we just want your nonprofit to use the money, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, this the nonprofit world in general where people are characteristically paid pretty cheap. And it kind of yeah. makes you think of, as a former teacher, it's, you know, hey, we have really high standards for what we want you to do with our kids, but we're also, we don't want to pay you more money to do that.
1: But also these children are the future, Blake. So by golly, we need their standardized test scores here. Mm -hmm. We need them achieving here. Mm -hmm. Right. But yet, like, if that's the future of the world and the economy and all the things that make the world go round, Mm -hmm. why aren't we investing more there?
0: Right. You know? Well, and and it it, kind of makes me wonder if, um, if, Funding will—I don't want to say—it becomes easier because I know when someone invests in your business, there's a lot of accountability to that person and donors in general. I mean, they want to really. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: There's, there's not should be well, and there's not a lot of like implicit trust. Like someone's going to give you money, and they want to know what are you going to do with that, right? And so I, I think it's hard for a nonprofit to. Um, well, you know, yeah, the donation you gave is going to mm-hmm. go to... It's a
1: little bit more intangible.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and people want that. They want every dollar to be attached to, you know, the child that was helped or the family that, you know, they want to be able to see that mm-hmm. person. And sometimes just in the nature of running a business, not every dollar goes directly to that person. Mm-hmm. You know, you have overhead, you have, yeah. you have staff salaries, you have mm-hmm. um, whatever other expenses you have. And it's, it's, I think it's hard for someone to um, not be the person who's giving directly to um, that cause.
1: But why? Because if you don't have the overhead, if you don't have the marketing person who's sharing the mission, who's letting the community know how to utilize the services, who's keeping up the website, by the way, where Mm -hmm. the donors make their donations and then they get super ticked if it doesn't work well. Okay. (laughs) Well, how are we paying for all of that? You know, one Mm -hmm. of the things I I get frustrated about, but most people in the community don't know this. Now you do. Um, because I just kind of smile and play along is that, you know, I constantly hear about, Oh, well, we don't support such and such organization because did you see that thing in the national paper that came out about how their overhead is like so high. Mm -hmm. And then this other nonprofit over here, their overhead is like zero. Mm -hmm. So that's who we support because 100% or 90% or whatever Mm -hmm. of our money goes to their programs. Mm -hmm. Well, Quite frankly, every penny that you give to a nonprofit, it, and I'm sure there are some nonprofits out there who, that, that may be the other issue, is there are some nonprofits out there who have made some really big mistakes. And I'm thinking of a couple that I'm not going to name, but there are some out there that, and when I say big mistakes, I'm talking about like detrimental, they've gone under, yeah. they've had donors who have invested and then, you know, large sums of money. And then that money, unfortunately, hasn't been utilized with the original intent. Same thing happens in the business world though. Mm-hmm. You have businesses that people invest in all the time and then a business didn't work out. Investor never got their money back. Same thing. Right. But my point is that we think about a good nonprofit as a nonprofit who has low overhead, but if you think and, and by overhead, so nonprofit expenses are divided into general administrative fundraising costs and then program costs. Well, better business bureau has their own guidelines and that's what we try to kind of follow. I think that they, um, have really taken into account that we are businesses and we do have to generate income. But anyway, their standard is that 65% or more of your funds are spent on programs um, around that. Anyway, so my point is we look at a nonprofit who's doing well as low overhead, high amount of money being spent in programs and moderate in fundraising. Everyone's kind of acknowledged, okay, you got to spend a little money to make a little money, not too much. (laughs) And then there's always this, like how much did you raise per dollar spent? Yeah, And I'm like, I don't know. How much did you need to carry out your mission? Like, why does right. that have to be a standard? Right. Because again, so going back to my point, I had to give a little few examples in there. But technically for our organization, every penny that you give us a hundred percent is spent on our programs mm-hmm. because I can tell you why every single thing that we do, every purchase that we make is supporting the families that we serve and supporting the mission that we have. Mm. So if you say, well, overhead is like our telephone. OK, who's going to get ticked if they can't call me? A donor who's trying to make a donation, a family who's trying to utilize our services. Um, you know, so if we can't pay our phone bill, that's overhead. What's going to happen? Right. Right. So it's the same thing with just like a for-profit business. Nobody's complaining about their overhead costs. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to have overhead costs too, technically, Mm -hmm. but all of it's to carry out our mission.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's people are so obnoxiously pious about where their money goes. And there's a lot of mistrust. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I think, you know, a really great analogy of this is when you are, you're driving, you're at a stoplight and there's a homeless person on the street corner <laughs> Yeah, and everyone has like their qualifiers mm-hmm. for, well, if I give them money, I have to, you know, yeah. and like, Oh yeah. Just,
1: they're going to go spend it on this. Yeah. And so, to buy food or whatever. Yeah, there's just
0: a lot of like, um, it's the, I think it's like the things that we, I don't know if it's like we do to make ourselves feel more valuable or righteous or what have you, but it's similar in the nonprofit world of, well, if I give this money, I still want control and say so. There's not a lot of implicit trust of, hey, I know you're going to. Um, and it's I think it's a little bit unfair, too, because yeah. you, you don't hear a lot of stories of nonprofits who take the money and run. Yeah,
1: you really it's you don't hear about a lot. Now, you might hear about nonprofits who close their doors because they can't raise enough money. That I hear a lot. Of, yeah,
0: actually. but it's
1: typically not because somebody embezzled or somebody was right. unethical. Quite frankly, it might just be that it was mismanaged. Mm-hmm. And that's the unfortunate thing. And why we have to look at nonprofits as a business, because Mm -hmm. if we don't, they will fail.
0: And and something else that's interesting on that too is that a lot of, I see a lot of boards that have like, I mean, you look at the credentials of the people on the board, and it's like, I mean, there's more business experience. Amazing. It it just blows my mind. And yet you have the nonprofit that is just, it's dying. Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone the other day who, phenomenal person, the nonprofit's losing thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars. And it was like, why haven't you yeah. done anything about this? Right. 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 That's, that was his Where's words. your board? That was it. <laughs> that was his words yeah. was like, wow, why, why hasn't our board you yeah. know, gotten involved on mm-hmm. this? And so it feels like you have these, and I don't know if people, I, I don't know the, the, the motivation for being on a board, but it's just- it,
1: Oh, there's lots.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's, there's sort of a disconnect there. Yeah. It's I have tremendous business experience and yet for this nonprofit- I don't know if it's if it's fair to say I'm disengaged or I just have a different approach. But
1: But I will tell you that one of the things that I'm I'm proud of and I hope that it's something that we can share with other nonprofits that might need it is that's what's really cool about my board of directors. You know, um, I'm going to brag on them. Yeah. I was about to say I'm not going to brag on them, but I'm like, yeah, I am bragging on them is we have built our board and a lot of nonprofits are really good about doing this is looking at what skill sets they need on their board do they need legal? Do they need, you know, an accounting person? You know, whatever it is that they might need on their board to help with that guidance and that governance. Especially pieces like, I can't hire in-house counsel, but I bet you our pro bono employment attorney, we call her about six times a year, uh-huh. you know? Um, so, anyway, so my point with that is to say that we really utilize our board members' business expertise. And you know what the difference might be? I don't know. But the difference I know for me is that we ask them, hey, so-and-so who's an attorney, we're updating our bylaws. Will you spearhead the committee to update our bylaws because Mm -hmm. of your expertise with contract writing Mm -hmm. um, and all of that as an attorney? You know, um, hey, person who works on strategic planning for the local Fortune 500 company or Fortune 100 who's Mm -hmm. on our board, can you spearhead the strategic planning committee? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I can. And they're so happy to be asked because at the end of the day, you're going to have a few people on your board and hopefully not, because quite frankly, I think you can get to the place with your board where you pretty much everybody works. Even if there's a year that goes by that there's not something specific you need from them, but then there's maybe a year that you're working on a specific project like strategic planning or whatever, where you can pull in some of their expertise but I've never had a board member be like, oh, yeah, I know I do that every day in my business, but I can't help you do that. <laughs> yeah. So quite frankly, maybe sometimes for nonprofits, mm-hmm. just ask. Yeah, There's a reason that they're there. And I think we get so focused on our boards of saying, you know, the whole give, get thing. Well, the main requirement for our board, and I've looked at tons and tons and tons of nonprofits board requirements in kind of developing our own. And a lot of them are, we need you to raise this amount of money or give this amount of money. We need you to attend this many meetings. We need you to volunteer this many hours at you know, our programs or whatever, and we need you to attend these events. And that's it. Well, where's the part about we need you to help with a committee to guide the long-term success and vision of our organization, Mm -hmm. which is the strategic plan, the financial plan, Mm -hmm. the, you know, legal type things like your bylaws and such, you know, where's that? Mm -hmm. And I think we get so focused on fundraising Mm -hmm. that we get ahead of ourselves.
0: Well, and I wonder too, if, if, you know, people come into the nonprofit world and they're very empathetically driven. I mean, they they love yeah. they love the Most purpose. People
1: are there for the right reasons. Yeah. I think.
0: They love the purpose, but they don't, you know, they don't even know to ask those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Or I did, I remember I did a training on strategic planning with a group of nonprofits. And one of them was like, I don't even know what what a strategic plan is. Oh. Right. And, cool. and you know, and it's and, and not that we need to, and, and you know, it's kind of funny I say that because now I'm kind of backpedaling on strategic plans in general, because now we've kind of taken it to from ditch to ditch of now we have these really long oh in my depth, gosh totally unrealistic. Maybe want to vomit. Yeah. And so um, but I think what's kind of wild from like the nonprofit perspective is when I think about the corporate world, the corporations who are doing it really wrong, there's a lot of churn and burn. Mm-hmm. It's people who oh they get gosh. in and they get burned out and they usually leave that industry completely. And it's like, I don't even want to touch that again. Yep, I see the same churn and burn with nonprofits, oh, yeah. with volunteers, part-time staff, even full-time staff. Where, A lot of times
1: that fundraising position.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like everyone is looking for that. Position
1: and I think that's it, what happens too, is everybody feels like it, there's this mentality and culture. Okay. That's our little keyword today, right? Yeah. Of scarcity. Hmm. And I think that people feel like they don't have enough money or, well, we really want to do this, but don't have enough money. Again, stop. Look at what do you have right in front of you, resources. And resources aren't just money, but they can be. But they can also be the professional leadership that you have on your board of directors. Mm-hmm. They can be random volunteers. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just somebody you know who has a really awesome skill set and something that you need that you can say, hey, would you mind to come over and meet with this committee of our board and share your you know, thoughts or ideas? Um, and looking at what's right in front of you that you can tackle right now mm-hmm. and then worrying about that. Mm -hmm. Instead of just like, I feel like people are just like running themselves ragged trying to get $500 here and Mm -hmm. well, so-and-so third party is going to do this fundraiser and we're going to sell tickets for half price and then they're going to match it. Well, good. You sold 100 tickets at $5, Mm. you know, and it took you. A whole month to do it. Whereas you could have been going out and Mm -hmm. doing a $50,000 grant Mm -hmm. in that month that you got and raised that much more money. Mm -hmm. But it's like this like scarcity, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we don't have any money, Mm -hmm. we don't have any money. And they're chasing these things that at the end of the day, man time, man hours, what resources they have right in front of them are just completely Mm -hmm. ignored. Mm -hmm. and they're chasing that
0: $500. Well, and it's, that's just not a nonprofit problem. I think, I think business owners in general have a really hard time Mm -hmm. separating what is important, you know, talking about your later list. Yeah. What's really important right now for my business versus, you know, honestly, that can wait. Yeah. And I talked to someone who he was working on his website. Mm -hmm. He spent like a month working on his website and it was like, I, I just don't know how useful that is to you. I mean, having yeah. a website, sure, but yeah. you, could, you can get a website up in a day. Oh, yeah. I mean, today's day and age, Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, whatever, uh, you know, pick your poison. You know, you can have a website up in, in a moment. And so then to spend a month working yeah. on that instead of, yep. you know, it's, it's hard and for people to see that.
1: Yeah. And if you look at how much time people actually spend on websites now, yeah, you got to have it. Yeah, it's important. It needs to be super mobile friendly. But they're looking at like one or two things. Maybe it's your contact information. Maybe it's how do I give. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a super short gist of what your services are Mm -hmm. or what your product is. And then they're on to other things.
0: Well, I think I read it's something like the average time someone spends on a page before they decide if they're going to stay or or bounce. Mm -hmm. It's about a second and a half.
1: Yeah. Which means
0: you have a second and a half to...
1: Catch their... Yeah. mm -hmm. And it's
0: also, it gives some thoughts to, you know, do I really need to spend... eight hours, you know, working out all the content on this page when really maybe a short video at the top is what grabs somebody.
2: Yeah. But,
0: but you're, you're, you're calling out something that's really, and it, and, and it's something that, you know, I mentioned how it's something that, that everyone deals with even business owners. And I think it's also you calling out is really important because again, I just, I think of Ronald McDonald as not just like setting the tone in the nonprofit world, but I've worked with a lot of business owners who, that, who are not functional in any way. Yeah, And I don't mean it in, I don't, when I say, you know, you know, Ronald McDonald is even setting the tone for businesses. Right, I don't right. mean it in a condescending way. I no. just think, I think there's something really unique. It's like, huh? there's like a secret sauce about Ronald McDonald. Uh, and I don't even, <laughs> I don't even mean the national brand. I've never worked yeah. with it. I'm but talking about local chapter. this local mm-hmm. chapter and working with you and your team. There's something really unique that. I think a lot of nonprofits would be jealous mm-hmm. over, uh, not in a, I don't mean in a harsh way, no, but they no. would want that. Yeah. But especially, I mean, let's take away even the nonprofit title from it. You have a, uh, and I don't know what your revenue was like that first year, but to go from one employee to 30 employees, you know, to go from, and we're
1: doing great,
0: you know? Yeah. You know, a, a, a million plus dollar yeah. business. Yeah. I mean, Anyone would want that. I mean, take away the nonprofit thought behind mm-hmm. it. Anyone would want mm-hmm. that and would want to apply. You know, let's let's get that for my business. So I, I think you you guys have demonstrated something really unique. So so what what is the secret sauce? And I think I already know the answer. You're gonna say <laughs> I love it. But you probably do. Yeah,
1: it's the people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's That's not why... what I thought you were gonna. say.
1: I'm just oh, oh <laughs> go I was like, oh no. no um, what was it? What was I gonna? What did you want me to say? No, but we. And this is not scripted, so. I've learned a few things or, and not just me, but now all the folks that work here. um, But even in the beginning, it was, it was a hard lesson to learn, but you've got to get the right people. And that goes back to hiring Mm -hmm. the right people. But sometimes you still hire the wrong people, you know, and it's having the courage again, talking about fear and all Mm -hmm. of that to let people go.
0: I think that's a really important
1: concept. And I think that's hard in the business world and the nonprofit world. And, you know, I mean, I had two situations that still, you know, um, sometimes they hit me. At at least one of these people I know is doing really great now, which makes me feel better. Um, But two different times I've had to let people go that were in the middle of divorces and had multiple children that they were going to be responsible for being basically their sole providers.
0: Golly, it's tough not to.
1: <laughs> to look at me like a cold hearted jerk. I mean, it's, I mean it's
0: <laughs> but here's here's what I have realized. And it's actually my last episode, episode was I called it be aggressive and solving problems. And really what I was thinking about was this conversation. Cause in the last week alone, I've talked to three different business owners who've had this story of, hey, I have this, yeah, excuse me. I have this employee who um, man, I they have a lot of talents. Yeah. I feel like I need to let them go. And I've just been, you know, what else can I try with them? What else can I do with them? And it's like, well, how long have you been working on them? Oh, you know, like a year. Oh, you know, like 18 months. And it's like, dude. When are
1: you gonna when you gonna just call it what it is? And
0: I've realized a lot of owners are actually really, you know, you think about like the cutthroat. Oh heck yeah. most people aren't like the corporate, you know, the impersonal even
1: in that world. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, totally totally. agree.
0: You have people who are very empathetically driven and they wanna see their employee you know, kind of click and get Mm -hmm. it. And so I I think, I think you've pointed out a really great observation that it's, it's, I I feel like to be successful, you have to be maybe quick's not the right word, but you at least have to be willing to get the wrong people off the bus. Yeah.
1: And, you know, we had a situation just recently with, um, an employee, I'm trying not to say too much, so it doesn't give it away, but, um, an employee that we had to make a decision to let go. And we'd been coaching this person. Well, not me. It was, um, our operations and programs team had been working with one of their employees for a while, and finally it kind of got to me, um, and so I tried to help coach my team through it. And I was so proud of them because this is the culture that we've created. Even it's not just me that's like, oh, I can fire anybody because actually I can't. <laughs> it's really, really, really stinking hard. Yeah. Okay. But. Um, The rest of my team has gotten onto that culture as well. So for example, so we had, so it got to me that the employee was pretty disgruntled and called me and I'm like four, there's like four people between us. So they'd gone through a lot of people finally gets to me. So I call in the, the four those people in between and we all go to lunch and I'm like, okay, so here's what the phone conversation was that I had. What what do you guys like? What do we do? Give me the history of what we've tried to do to help mm-hmm. to bring this person along because there was an awesome employee mm-hmm. as far as like skill set, hardworking, all mm-hmm. of that. So proud of my team. They came with the file
0: mm-hmm.
1: of all the um training,
2: mm-hmm. all
1: of the extra orientation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all of the conversations, all of the coachings mm-hmm. with her signature, their signatures. Mm-hmm everything they'd done, the completion of the plans. Like, I mean, they were like, listen, we have literally done everything
3: Everything. we can do.
1: (laughs) She agreed that we did. We agreed. We completed, like they had dates for when they'd completed the additional trainings Mm -hmm. and the coachings and all the things documented. And I was like, okay, well, there's our answer. Mm -hmm. There's not anything else we can do. But as you know, if you want to go down that, you know, we're all empathetically driven. We, we took that approach and we took the approach of we believe in everybody and we can own up to sometimes maybe you didn't get good enough training from us. Maybe there is more coaching that we need to do for you. So we're going to do that. It's worth our time and effort, even though, you know, sometimes it's kind of a pain, but once we see that it's still not working, it's not working. And that's okay. Because in the long run, it's better for that person and it's better for us. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, any anybody that we've parted ways with, one thing that I think is a testament to us doing everything we can, most employees that don't work here anymore that were let go versus just left on their own and the ones who left on their own, great relationships with.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's
1: several of them that I may go to lunch with once a year. Wow. Or we're social media friends and we comment on each other's photos and stuff like that. Or they'll randomly text and be like, oh my gosh, I saw this hilarious Ronald McDonald meme or something. You know? And I'm like, okay, that says a lot. That even if they were upset when they got let go, or they were upset when they quit, because you know we're pretty much always upset when that happens. Yeah. Everybody is. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they realized, you know what, Ronald McDonald House did good by me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They tried, I tried, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And then once they're on their feet again, they can look back and have that perspective that, okay, and then hopefully they <laughs> learn something. And when they go out to their for-profit or non-profit, wherever they land, we have people you know, in both sectors now, um, hopefully they'll emulate some of those things and we'll have a nice little ripple effect.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it takes a lot to treat someone with dignity, even someone who you're letting go, right? And it sounds like that's, that's important to you is even mm-hmm. though we're having to let this person go, they're still a yeah. valuable person and we want them oh, to sure. know that. Yeah. You know, it's, I, and I feel like I guess that's, you know, less there's less drama that way than like oh, the person who you just totally burn. And they're like, oh, well, yeah. I'm going to burn this whole thing down. I
1: know. And you're <laughs> so prepared for the drama yeah. every time we're like, OK, what's going to we do? We have like kind of a risk management conversation, you mm-hmm. know, OK, how's this person gonna react? What do we think they're going to do? Is there anyone we need to give a heads up to based mm-hmm. on how they might react? Mm-hmm. And I would say I want to say 10 out of 10, but let's go with nine out of nine, nine out of 10 times. There's no pushback. And we're always prepared for it. But Hmm. again, I think, like you said, we do our due diligence. They know that we demonstrate that, and then there's dignity.
0: Yeah. Now, and you you are definitely like the epitome of someone. I when I think of like what does it mean to invest in your people, Hmm. and I love that you even pointed and said, you know, man, our people, because because sometimes you talk to business owners who've become really successful. And they say, well, you know, this is what I did. <laughs> and you're kind of like, yeah, but you have, you've, had, you've had the same team your whole business, right? Yeah. Oh,
2: and yeah. And so I
0: love that you pointed to your team uh, and I've worked with your team. and yeah. They're all phenomenal yeah. people. You're probably one of the only people I know who is willing to invest in your whole team. And, and, and let's even break this down even more in a, in a more granular way even invest in your part-time staff <laughs> yeah. and even break this down even more willing to spend thousands of dollars. And I know you have, cause yeah,
2: I've, I know. I've seen
0: the bill is, is the fact that you've even spent thousands of dollars on your part-time that that's totally. And again, taking away like the qualifier yeah. of nonprofit for yeah. that's unheard of yeah. in business. Yeah. Especially in the nonprofit world. Uh, and, and I've, it's never really clicked for me what has driven you to do that, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't know if you want to take us back to, you know, when you made an investment like that, or if you just want to talk about your, your philosophy in general, but, you know, it, it's just unusual, mm-hmm. right? So like, why do you have that approach with your people?
1: Well, because that's how we are. That's how we are where we are now. So it took a long time and it took a lot of um, the training. So you're going to lose people. And you're going to have turnover but you know the kind of that ebb and flow there's going to be some consistent people and to me quite frankly the people that are consistent and kind of keep going through it regardless of the turnover and they can you know when you're changing a culture and when you're building it's hard and people leave because some people just maybe they don't fit with the culture or maybe quite frankly they don't like the volatility of that Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like when you're you know talking about building i mean only like direct metaphor I can think of off the top of my head, it's going to be terrible. I'm not very good at anecdotal stories or metaphors. But <laughs> when you're building a house, okay, who do you know or who on listening to this podcast has ever built a house and not had something? A big change order that cost a bunch of money you didn't plan for, bad weather, and so timelines got off. They start digging around in the ground and they find like a friggin' cemetery. I mean, like you hear all like
0: this place is haunted. By yeah. the
1: way, that's like true. <laughs> happens a lot with you know, unless they do a really good land survey. But there's some crazy stuff about that with some Ronald McDonald houses, by the way. Okay, those are fun stories for were another built, day. Like
0: on a tribal burial. Yeah,
1: ground I mean, yeah, it's, it can get you know, it can get kind of crazy. Okay. So anyway, so okay. who? So again, building a house is really hard. You might lose a subcontractor in it cuz you've got somebody that's like whatever, I'm not working for this contractor, they're mm-hmm. difficult or this timeline's no longer working for me cuz they or they want to do this change order and it's outrageous mm-hmm. and blah 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 whatever it might be. So building something is never hard, but then at the end, you hope that that finished product is this big beautiful home that you were striving for. Mm-hmm. What we also know about home ownership is that you're never done. Right. <laughs> so so I want to. So we'll talk about that part of it later, which is kind of the maintenance part of us at this point. And I don't even know if I'd call it maintenance because we're always growing and changing. But my point is, while we're building that house, we've got all these things that happen. We might lose people. And, and for us, it is literally houses sometimes. Um, we might lose some money. We might make some bad choices like, oh, we really thought we liked those cabinets. And then we got them in and they're worthless. And so we just wasted that money because now we're going to spend more money to replace them or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, when we built the McDonald House in Fayetteville, we had like in the middle of construction, they had just gotten the new wood floors down and the HVAC like exploded. And so, I think it actually happened twice in construction. And they had to completely rip up the floors and replace them, wow. do a bunch of ceiling work. Yeah, twice. And so it derailed our timeline. It cost a lot more money. It You know, not on us because it wasn't our issue, but it cost somebody money. You know, so you have all these issues when you're building But it's about being resilient through it so that, you know, at the end, you're going to have this big, beautiful house. That's what you were working towards. So I feel like it's kind of the same thing when you're building and changing that culture. If you're not investing and nurturing every part of it, then you're never going to get that big, beautiful house built. Mm -hmm. So I think it's being able to just be resilient and stick through it. Mm -hmm. But recognizing that you have to nurture and invest in all these people because it is really hard when Mm -hmm. you're going through that process and you have really yucky days. Then you get to the pinnacle and you're like, look at this beautiful house that we just built Mm -hmm. and this thing that we did together. Mm -hmm. And then those are the people now that are like, well, let's build the next house. (laughs) And then the next house is going to be even better because you've taken care of these people along the way. And they Uh saw what they could accomplish when everybody was on board. And then as the leader, I saw what we could accomplish by nurturing and investing all these people through that really yucky, hard, mm-hmm. sometimes good days, sometimes bad days,
0: period. Mm-hmm. And, and it, hopefully
1: now you have less bad days.
0: Yeah. And it kind of feels like you realized, okay, if we're going to build this house, we need to bring everyone in on it.
2: Yeah. You know, because oh, even, yeah.
0: even your part-time staff, it's probably not fair to call them. I, I think I know. part-time makes it sound like they're, they're not a lesser.
1: I know and they're not right. And
0: so, you know, it's, and also I love that you talk about how, it, how hard it is. Cause especially like. My only, and I, and I talk about culture endlessly, I know, but the only, the only bad thing about talking about culture is it gets people really excited around like these very positive feelings. Ooh, it's
1: hard though.
0: And they don't realize okay. even what they're getting into. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like, you know, talking about culture is really sexy. Yeah. I mean, it's fun and it's like, you know, our mission matters and people come to work. And I engaged. think everybody gets it like, yeah. oh yeah, we want a good culture. Yeah. 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 But actually building the culture is not sexy oh. and it's not fun mm-hmm. and it is grueling and it, it costs money and yeah. time and energy. And I think what's hard about it, too, is recognizing and you, it ties in well with what you said earlier, is that not everyone who's part of the team mm-hmm. wants the culture to go in that way. Yeah. Meaning, you know, you have people who are like, you know what, I'm pretty happy with where we are today. Yeah. And they don't want to go where you're taking mm-hmm. the business. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go you know, I love where, I I love where I live here. I don't want to move. I feel safe. Yeah, exactly. I'm scared. Yeah. I don't want to move across the street. Yeah. Right. And so like, this
1: house is great. Yeah. So I think,
0: I think being transparent, like this is why we're doing this, but also I think, you know, another part of that hard conversation is, you know what, we're not taking you with us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that,
0: that, even that sounds really harsh. And, or
1: you're not choosing to go with us. Right. Because sometimes it's, we've done everything that we can Mm -hmm. and we don't feel like you're you and your part. You know, we give everybody an opportunity. What would you do? Mm -hmm. We've done all these things. You're still not happy. What would you have us do? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's really interesting. Occasionally you'll have somebody say something. You're like, okay, that's freaking brilliant. Let's do it and see where it goes. Or sometimes you're like, they're like, I mean, well, you're right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. You guys have done everything. And you're like, okay, well then (laughs) you just gave us the answer. Yeah. But what I want to go back to too with investing in people and you talking about investing in the part-time people. And it's a good, I love that you said, you know, you don't want to make it sound like they're non-essential or they're less important than your full-time people. And I think that's a common thing that happens in nonprofit and business world. But for us, what are my frontline people doing? Hmm. Number one, it's the largest group of folks we employ, which I assume is probably fairly common with a lot of businesses. So it's our largest group um, that we employ. The other part is they're the ones that are talking to our families every day. They're the ones that are at the Ronald McDonald programs carrying out our mission on the front line. Yeah, I'm here in the office or out in the community raising money, you know, sharing the good word, making some big governance, strategic, you know, decisions, whatever. Okay. But I'm not speaking directly to a family who might lose their baby. I'm not there at seven o'clock in the morning when a mom comes up completely defeated because she thought she was going home and then in the night her baby coded and guess what? Now they're going to be here for another week.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, wow.
1: I'm not doing that. They are. So why wouldn't I invest in them? Mm-hmm. Because if they don't get our culture, if they don't get our mission, if they don't get how to speak to our families, which is essentially our customers, then I'm really failing as a business. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing in the for-profit world that the people that are with your customers might be a 10-hour-a-week employee, but who do you want better out there representing your mission is the people that are talking to your darn customers. Right. Like, hello. Yeah. It just mm-hmm. makes, so to me, it just almost seems backwards that you invest more mm-hmm. in that leadership group. Now, I get it that the leadership group manages the part-time yeah, group, so right. it trickles down, but mm-hmm. does it? Does it trickle down?
3: Mm, yeah.
1: Only if you have the right culture. Right. And sometimes the trickling down it gets resistant by those frontline folks. I like to call them frontline instead of part time, <laughs> but it, cause I don't know how else to say it either to, to make it sound yeah. how much, how important they are to us. Um, but sometimes it doesn't trickle down cause they're resistant to it because they feel like they're never invested in mm-hmm. and they're never communicated to. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we actually did over the last year was our operations director and her program team revamped our whole training and onboarding system based on a culture survey that we did with you, uh, two years ago now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, um, one of the last company. Yeah. But anyway, so they did the, um, they, a lot of what came out of that, because we had our frontline staff um, do that culture survey as well. And what came out of that was that they wanted more recognition and they wanted more empowerment and more training. And we thought we were doing a good job of that. Mm. So we really kind of almost like, I don't know what would you like turn the bowl upside down yeah. and started actually maybe even spending a little bit more time investing in that team and asking them, what do you want? Right. One of the things that the team has started, I didn't even know this was going to happen, all of a sudden I get emails, these big company-wide emails. And I say company-wide, I mean, there's like, you know, 20 something people in the email, (laughs) but that's company-wide for us. Um, And we get an email and it's like, Hey, it's Catherine's birthday. Catherine's been here for seven months as a volunteer. She's done this and this and this happy birthday. And then the rest of the staff's like, Hey, happy birthday. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. We've never met but the president and ceo is now telling her happy birthday in like a super casual email. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool if yeah. you're a 19-year-old college kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she doesn't know that I'm not really that big of a deal like yeah. <laughs> but my title is.
3: Yeah, so, you know, sure. um,
1: and then the same thing like I mean, in fact, I'm getting like a couple of week of, "Hey, it's so and so's 2-year anniversary. Here's what she's accomplished in the last 2 years. Congratulations, so and so. We're so glad you're here." And then everybody's chiming in. Hey, congratulations. Oh my gosh, yeah. you know? And um, I noticed they, our program team, I guess they came up with that as, you know, mm-hmm. part of their way to respond to that. We want more recognition. And mm-hmm. and I don't think people want recognition in a selfish way, but we all want to be told that we're
0: appreciated. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's well, a huge part of
0: our yeah, culture. And it, I think what's really funny about that, you, you point out a couple of things that are really funny to me is I see a lot, especially on this conversation of recognition. Yeah is first of all i notice a lot of business owners are really disconnected really? from what's really true about mm-hmm. their business mm-hmm. and so even you mentioned it before of like you know hey i thought we did a pretty good job of this yeah. right but then you have your frontline staff saying no it's not really what we're mm-hmm. wanting right and it's yeah. it's it's super common to see that in business in fact uh, my old company had this really great graphic of a survey they had done of uh, the executive staff evaluating the state of their business versus the frontline. Oh, man. And it was like, you know, rate it from like one to 10. And the executive staff oh, was consistently, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like eight, nines and tens. The, the points that it's like a 10 at is when the employees have rated at like a one. Right. Isn't you know, that there's crazy? A, there's a huge divide there, yeah. right? So it's, it's hard to know exactly what your people actually want. The other thing that I think is really interesting, too, about this conversation of recognition First of all, I know a lot of business owners, they they look for ways to recognize that doesn't really cost them much. Yeah. So it's like, oh, how can we recognize our employees? Uh, I don't know. Get them an Applebee's gift card. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. let's eat at Applebee's. I
1: mean, get you know? them it close? Maybe they probably will soon.
0: <laughs> and that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. The, the other thing, though, is, and it's it's kind of like the millennial conversation. Yes. It's like, oh golly, these, these millennials just want all they this recognition.
1: They just rec- want everything. <laughs> yeah. They're so selfish. And it's like,
0: no... You're looking for a way to disqualify people mm-hmm. because like you said, everyone needs recognition. Oh, now, yeah. People might have different levels and, yeah. and does one generation have a stronger need? Maybe. maybe. I don't know.
1: Sure. Fair enough. Whatever. But,
0: but I think it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's you have people who they simply want to be recognized mm-hmm. for the good work that they're doing.
1: And, you know, so that's one of the things we've done this year that I think is um, I don't know, maybe other nonprofits do it. I haven't asked anyone, but we do. Um, we've always had a gifts and recognition budget. So like for donors or for, you know, somebody's, so, you know, a donor passes away. So we want to send something to their, you know, existing. I mean, their living, you know, a significant other, something like that. Right. Well, this year we decided to do an employee gifts and recognition, like employee volunteer and then donor gifts and recognition. So it's two different line items in our budget now because we wanted to be very intentional about we have funds earmarked specifically to show appreciation to volunteers and to employees and specifically to donors. And so, you know, I think being intentional about it and you know what, sometimes some people just want you to tell them, thank you. Uh Um, But I think what's been the most impactful for us is every birthday, every anniversary. In fact, Today is Administrative Assistance Day. So we've done a few things for our, like, super awesome. I told my son, who's six, that she's really the boss here. Mm. And so he's, like, really, like, trying to figure out how she's the boss. And anyway, it's been really funny. He was in the office for a second yesterday and was like, okay, so if you're the boss, Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's grilling her. But anyway, um, and I told him it's because the reason that I said she's the boss is because she's the one that makes sure that nobody goes crazy. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, oh, this whole new way to think about who's the boss. You know, Mm -hmm. how do I get that job to make sure people don't go crazy? (laughs) Sure. Anyway, and then another employee is having her three-year anniversary. So today we're going to buy lunch Mm -hmm. and we're all going to have lunch. They each got, you know, something too. And so it's simple, but they just appreciate that we recognize that. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was kind of a hard thing because I – you know, I don't know that anyone ever recognizes. well until our awesome ministry assistant came. I don't know that anyone really recognized my work anniversary, but it was OK with me. Like mm-hmm. really and truly, I totally mean it really was OK with me that I mean, I knew it was my work anniversary and I was proud of myself. Good. But that doesn't work for everybody, you know. Um, and so it was hard for me to kind of come out of my comfort zone with like, well, what do people want? Like, I have no idea. So our team kind of worked together and came up with that. And I think that's an interesting thing is talk to the team and say, well, how do you want to be recognized? Mm-hmm. And then leave the floor open in a safe environment for them to give you that feedback.
0: Mm-hmm. Because I think
1: that happens sometimes too. It's like, we, we want to ask you for feedback, but we don't really want your feedback.
0: Yeah, it's it's like, I'm supposed to ask you. Yeah. But I'm Steph- not really going to. just
1: said it worked for her. So which,
0: too. which what's funny about that is it actually does more damage.
1: Oh you, my gosh, Than if yes. you had
0: never said anything at all.
1: Exactly.
0: Because now they know you don't really care what they think. And then
1: they're like, well, what else do you not care that I think about? Yeah. Right. So anyway, so I think for me, that was good to lean on my team and say, okay, I don't, I'm not good at recognizing things. So Mm. can y'all help me? So again, those just the simple company wide email saying, Hey, it's so-and-so's anniversary or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that is a free way to do it. And Mm -hmm. it's a super sincere email. Like sometimes there's like funny little memes that are sent or like emoji, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's playful and it's casual. It's not like some serious form email that we send out for every anniversary or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that's one thing that we do too, is we try not to get too formal mm-hmm. because then it does feel, it's what you talk about a lot, authenticity, but mm-hmm. it feels a little bit more real. I think mm-hmm. when we get kind of playful with stuff yeah. like that.
0: And yeah. we're all just real people. Yeah. You know, instead of having to pander to titles or yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's something I've learned too, is, um, You know, we've we've got some folks on staff that are kind of learning not to be intimidated by the, you know, um, amazing hospital CEO that's on our board, for example. But he's up on this pedestal. He's this awesome community member. He's this awesome leader at a local hospital. He's got the CEO title. You know, um, we've got these these big time donors that support us, that we're around. And I've really learned that if I treat them as I would anybody else and talk about them internally and make that a part of our culture that, hey, they're just as valuable and important as you are, then I, I think that has kind of helped too in our culture that we don't, we respect people, obviously. And I mean, truth is I still put people on pedestals, but, um, you know, we try to create the whole culture of, yeah, this is a really important, like, you know, okay, like I'm trying to say, maybe we're going to have some really important donor come through to do a tour at the Ronald McDonald House. In the past, everyone would kind of be like, "Oh my gosh, so and coming to do a tour at the ROM. Oh my gosh, okay, everything has to be spotless, everything has to be perfect." And now our culture is just that we're spotless and perfect, and we don't know who you are. Okay, yeah. We don't care who you are. I mean, we do. You know yeah. what I mean? Care is maybe not the right word. Um, we're not going to do anything differently necessarily. I mean, you know, there might be tweaks on certain things, but now it's like this is who we are. Mm-hmm and come see us regardless of who you are because we recognize our value and our worth and we recognize your value and your worth so let's all just be together and support families
0: it makes me think of uh restaurants for example where you know it sounds so bad but it's like oh the health inspector is coming you know get everything cleaned up right as opposed to the culture just being
1: we're always ready for the health inspector right got it right right
0: and it, it, it makes me want to ask you about you know, you talked about how you guys you've you've spent like the last year and a half, two years, really trying to build this house. And you mentioned uh, a little while ago that you know now you're kind of enjoying the sort of the fruit of your labor of mm-hmm. like, okay, we've built this house, and and the staff's kind of like, okay, what do we do next? Yeah, but but you know, just getting like really granular and, and specific, especially for people who they okay. don't know what a strong culture looks like, okay. like really specifically, like. OK, I know I'm just to get this thing, but like what does in like when I talk to people, I try to help them understand, like, look, this will help your revenue. This will help your uh-huh. business in general. Oh, yeah. People are going to be more engaged. Yeah, you,
1: end of the day. You yeah. know,
0: but so you know, what has been sort of the um, the 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 benefits of the house you're in now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like what does that look like?
1: Well, for example, the other day we had three employees. We're in the middle of a really busy time right now. And the other day we had three employees working on a project. And there was a little bit of a, they, everybody thought they were on the same page. And then it turns out that one employee thought we were doing something else. And the other two thought we were doing something else. So they were a little bit on the different page. So the one employee went and executed something that wasn't quite ready. And it caused a little bit of like, you know, a couple phone calls of like, Hey, what the heck is going on? I saw this thing and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, an initial reaction was, well, what the heck? That person, we were all on the same page and then they went and executed and we weren't really ready. And, you know, and so, you know, initial feelings are sometimes like, ah, so frustrated. Right. So then it got to me. So I talked to the two and I said, well, have you talked to the third person? Do they know that this happened yet? It's always my first question. Have you talked to whomever? And they're like, no. Um, but when that person gets here, we're all going to talk. And so I kind of talked through like, Okay, now you know that wasn't intentional, you know, and, and they were worried about, well, now we look stupid. Well, that person doesn't want to look stupid either. Uh-huh. So, first of all, to calm ourselves down and to get the emotion out of it, remember that it wasn't personal, it wasn't vindictive. And then just is it a big deal? Does it need a meeting? Does it need a SOP, which is standard operating procedure, which we've started creating a lot of those to get people on the same page? So does it warrant that, or is it more just like, hey, this happened? next time it can't happen this way. And here's mm. what the, the implication was. You may not be aware that this happened. So we just wanted to let you know about it. And in the future, let's make sure we stay in closer communication. They were like, Oh yeah, that's all. And I'm like, do y'all need me to come in? And they're like, no, like mm. it's not that big of a deal. Like once we talked through it, and I even said as a part of our culture, we've all decided that we're going to talk to people versus just being frustrated about things and letting mm. things go by the wayside um, I'm a little bit sometimes when it comes to um, and I need to be better at, at this about my myself, but the whole one minute manager book. Mm-hmm. So the one minute, you know, reprimand, the one minute <laughs> critique, whatever, I don't remember at all. Um, the one minute praise, whatever it is. So that was an example in our culture of being candid, but then also practicing like, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. It's quick, let's mm-hmm. move on, let's get it over with. And I mm-hmm. think we've created that in our culture versus holding on to things. Mm-hmm. So some other things that I think that we've done over the last few years, um, really the big thing, I think, is we have a strategic plan. It's a three-year plan. And then it's pretty short and sweet to the point. I think it's like um, a front and like half of a back piece of paper, but like the first fourth of the front page is like the mission. And so it's really even shorter than that. I was telling
0: someone, we were talking about this conversation. I said, your strategic plan should be about a page. Yeah they're like, what? No. I, know. And I was like,
1: well, you got too yeah. much detail. Well, here's yeah. how you do it. So you have your strategic plan, which is the guiding vision. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it's a living, working, breathing document. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then what we have put underneath it is our kind of like the tactics that mm-hmm. would typically go in there. And we've pulled it out and called it performance metrics. Mm-hmm. So the strategic plan is a three-year plan. The, stru- the performance metrics is a one-year plan and the performance metrics. So like we have three strategies in our strategic plan. So then the performance metrics fit directly under that, right? Like it's the same. Okay. And then it's the tactical items under each strategy Mm -hmm. that we're actually, the things we're actually going to do this year. Uh As a team, we have assigned roles and responsibilities, whether it's a department or individual people to each of those tactics. However, as a group, there's an annual, excuse me, there is an annual bonus structure, Mm, which is very rare in the nonprofit world. In fact, I contacted, I think 12 or 15 of my colleagues, Ronald McDonald House and other nonprofits, and said, Hey, y'all have anything? We're trying to put this together. Yeah. And everybody's like, no, but when you do, will you share it? And I'm talking like I contacted like people in big major cities yeah. that are like, I would consider them more innovative than I am. Yeah. You know? Um, people that I look up to in that way. Or some of them be like, yeah, okay, we've got this, like you get 500 bucks or you get two. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I want impact, mm-hmm. right? So, okay. So what we do is, like I said, strategic plans, overarching, then the performance metrics. So what happens though with the performance metrics, and it's an annual basis. So it's so much easier to break off because you can literally be like, okay, in February, we're going to do this. In July, we're going to do this. Like you can really right. plan it out. A year's not too long, but yeah. it's long enough. Yeah. So anyway, under that, um, we have a 10% bonus structure. So the first 5% of your annual gross salary, okay, is achieved by the team. So if the team gets zero on the performance metrics, nobody gets anything. If the team gets one, everybody gets one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now to qualify for the second 5%, which is the individual portion of the bonus, because we wanted to have the team environment, but we also wanted to yeah. reward people for Because there are some folks that there are projects on the performance plan, the performance metrics that are only one person because mm-hmm. it's like their job or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If anybody get if we get 1%, then everyone gets that 1% on top of qualifying for an additional 5% individual. And then so that's, you know, zero to 5%. So you may get 1%, mm-hmm. you may get zero. Everybody would get zero if everybody got zero. Or you might get 6%, or you might get 4%, or, you know, mm-hmm. it just depends.
0: And I know you're fine if someone gets the full 10%.
1: Oh, yeah. This like... year, we had some <laughs> folks
0: mm-hmm, close. And I, I point that out because there are owners out there. And again, this, this kind of plan's... We're not even talking, I mean, definitely unheard of in the nonprofit world, even especially in the for-profit world. I mean, I was talking to a guy last week who he was saying that over six years he got a one percent raise and that Mm -hmm. was apparently good for compared to his big deal. Yeah. And it was like, that is so sad that you spent six years at six percent. Right. And so yeah, you know, and and also what I noticed is a lot of owners who they they you know, it's like, um, oh, you get up to 5%, but no one gets 5%. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, everyone says that. Yeah. It's
0: kind of obnoxious, right? Well, then and so, you're
1: never really, like, how hard are you really going to work? Right. You know, and then how bought in and committed. So for me, it's not even about work ethic, because everybody who works here right now mm-hmm. um, has, and really, if I look back over the years, anyone who's worked here has always had pretty darn good work ethic. That's mm-hmm. never been a huge issue for us. It's more been the buying into our culture and the team atmosphere, mm-hmm. which is what we all want. We all would agree that's what's going to make us the most successful in the end, right? Right. And so the team atmosphere is achieved by, hey, so-and-so. Well, so we, We review that performance metrics pretty regularly as departments do it. Managers will do it with their folks, you know, whatever. But then as a team, we look at it a couple times a year as well. And so say it's the June meeting and we're all going through it and we're like, oh, yeah, we forgot we said we were going to do that. Well, we've got six months till December. It's going to take us four to do it. So-and-so, you know what? These next four months, I've got some time in my schedule. Can I help you do it? Yeah. So that it, it because everybody wants that, you know, like let's get 5% on the performance metrics. And I will tell you, so this is our third year for it. So the first two years, we've gotten four to five as a team Uh because basically it's like done. Sometimes I'm like, and we even did more, you know? Yeah. And our board has been so on board because Uh, guess what? We're raising more money than we've ever raised.
0: Exactly. I love that.
1: Right. So it's like the board's like, yeah. (laughs) And you know what? I'll tell you what was cool about my board too is, I don't know if these are exactly the words, but about three years ago when we decided to put this in place, the board said, well, it was shared with me by our chairman at the time who was representing the rest of the board. And so, you know, kind of had a, I think they were doing like my performance review or something. So they had an executive meeting and they meet with me and they're like, okay, So we want to pay everybody more money, but we don't know how to do that in the nonprofit space, which is common, right? People don't. So I went out, like I said, and I looked and I had, um, we put together a little three person committee. One was a nonprofit hospital member. So he had some good insight from that whole nonprofit world. One was a representative, a high up manager at a local, um, big deal company who had a lot of perspective from how their company rewards people and does bonuses and stuff. And, um, so anyway, so the, and then we had our employment attorney on there to help us make sure that we were doing everything that we could do legally and how we worded things was actually pretty specific. Mm. So she helped guide us on that because we didn't want to guarantee anything, you know, we wanted it to be all based on you achieve this or you don't, you don't just get the bonus. Right. Right. And so anyway, so we worked on it. We presented to the board and the board was like, so cool. We can take care of our people. Mm -hmm. We can become the organization that we want to become. And this is all we got to do. You know, Mm -hmm. which I think we made it look really easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a lot of work, but I tell you what, that has brought this team together more than anything else I think that we've done. And it's that simple. And the other part that I love about that strategic plan, kind of overarching the annual performance plan and it trickles down into individual goals that again, everything is tiered underneath that. So it's all the same thing, but there's kind of like three plans. And so it's brought us together because we have to encourage each other.
3: Mm.
1: Like you have to. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's been really cool. The turnover has been the lowest it's ever been. Wow. Um, we're raising more money than we've ever raised. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, our expenses are going to go up every year, just like everybody else's not exponentially at all. Um, but you know, it's just been really awesome. And like you mentioned, we have two part-time folks who are a full-time equivalent together and they're every bit a part of that. Mm -hmm. Group. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's pretty cool mm-hmm. that they get to um, be able to work part time and have a higher level position and get the same rewards and recognition as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And they're extremely crucial to what we do. Right. <laughs> Again. Right. Oh, the other part of this. So, what I just mentioned is more of kind of our uh, leadership team, but all of these performance metrics and things bring in things that our frontline folks do. Additionally, we have accounted for what's an impactful, again, I was trying for impact. So $500 is really nice, but like after taxes and everything, like, okay, thanks. So we're talking like people get thousands of dollars right? as a bonus. Like people yeah. are going on Disney World vacations yeah. on and their own. again, bonus.
0: this is unheard of yeah, for a lot of for-profit businesses, but- But extremely
1: it's, deserved. Yeah. That's the other part of it. Hmm. Not one person have I have been kind of like, oh, okay, well, fine. I guess they get it too. No, it's very well-deserved- like, Earned, not mm-hmm. deserved, earned.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, anyway, so then our frontline folks, so a lot of them, not all of them, if you're listening, sorry, you're not all, a um, majority of them are college students though. So we decided, well, what's an impactful dollar amount for them? You know, a $20 gift card to go buy coffee or whatever, like, okay, fun, thanks. But my mom gave me that in my stocking or, you know, <laughs> so they each have an opportunity to get $100 okay, and they yeah. get a $100 bill, which is kind of fun. Um, and so we felt like for that age group and based on budgets and all that kind of stuff, we were like, so I think it's quarterly might be twice a year. I have to double check that. But anyway, they have the opportunity to get a performance review. Everybody gets, per- we're really big about staying on top of our performance reviews here, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, um, so even for those staff members and it, theirs are there's short and sweet and like, Hey, these are the three things that we were working on and. Here's what you've done. And you know what? Congratulations. Great job. Here's mm. your hundred bucks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you don't always get a hundred bucks. It might be 50 or it mm-hmm. might be, it's at their discretion based mm. on what you've done, but you can get a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And if I was a college kid and I worked for somebody and you handed me a hundred bucks, I'd be like, what? Yeah. You know?
3: <laughs>
0: so much um, ramen. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Much ramen. But you know, it's what I like about what you're saying. Is, Pay my parking tickets Yeah, of a. I think I still have some too. Um, <laughs> So, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying is a lot of, it, it blows my mind. Every owner wants the engaged employee, but they don't want to pay the price. Yeah. And, and again, not that every but person. But you're paying
1: it by not. Exactly.
0: And I love that you you mentioned how you're making more money than ever. And it's hard to help the, the owner understand that long-term. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also, you know, and not that every employee wants, I mean, some employees want more time off, you know, not everyone wants. Oh, yeah. The yes. dollar amount. I don't. And have we a problem discuss with. that a lot. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. What I have a problem with is the owner who's mm-hmm. looking for literally any way possible to recognize quote yep. employees without affecting their bottom line. And again,
1: it is so apparent to people when you do that. You might yeah. not think it. You might think you're being sly, but mm-hmm. they know.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that that I don't know what you would say to this, but I also talk to owners sometimes when we talk about like. What does the engaged employee look like? What does the person who's so invested in the mission look like? And we and I talk a lot about, you know, well, if you want them to get them to that point, you have to recognize and give them an incentive to actually achieve mm-hmm. that. Because, you know, people in general, they like to hit the goals, whatever has been laid out for them. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing that I get said back to me occasionally, not often, but occasionally is, well, my employee should be like that anyway. You know, they yeah. should already be. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if they're going to be, and it's almost, it becomes like a a moral question of, you know, what kind of person would work here and not strive for? And it's hard to yeah. answer that in the sense that I like, I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, me sure. Yeah. You know, I just, I, but on the same token, I just don't know if that is yeah. actually how it plays out, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, people want to be recognized yes. and pushed and- yeah. And they that, I, do. I don't know if people just naturally do that, though, out of their own goodwill. Yeah,
1: I think in competition, you know, competition mm-hmm. with themselves, competition with each other and, you know, the whole team atmosphere. I think most people want that. Even my most um, resistant to letting go of projects person at the end of the day wants that whole family team. Mm-hmm. And when I say family, I'm not talking about like, crossing the boundaries, like we're all best friends outside of work family. Mm -hmm. But um, even that person wants the family team, we accomplish something together environment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a huge believer in that is Mm -hmm. that um, creating that environment of we did this together Mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a way to bring that together.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I I think also sharing the you know, I, I called it the fruit of your labor, but sharing the success. Yeah. You know, there's nothing more frustrating to, uh, in fact, I was talking to someone the other day. He's been part of this business that's gone on to be like a 2 or $3 million business. Cool. He was part of the business when it was nothing mm-hmm. and hasn't got, he was frustrated that he hasn't got any kind of the cut, I guess. Yeah. And, and not, you know, and I, I get it, you know, his perspective, but on the same token, yeah. I see where he's coming from. You oh, have a yeah. person who has helped build a business from nothing to a multi-million dollar yeah. industry and is kind of thinking, yeah, like what, you know, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. We're running out of time. I want to use your time well. There was one other question I wanted to ask you and something that I try to do with people that I talk to is I try to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and I get a lot of conversations on uh, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, what the heck am I doing, mm-hmm. uh, even for myself? Mm-hmm. And and I think what I've loved about this episode with you is just, I, I think definitely people are going to appreciate how down to earth and authentic you are. I, I don't want people to feel like, um, you know, because I, I know you wouldn't want them to think this too of like, you know, you're just this phenomenal. I mean, you are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But like this, I'm oh like the most gosh. incredible, phenomenal, whatever person. How do you deal with imposter syndrome? I'm like what? You know, is there is there and I I tell people sometimes, you know, everyone deals with lies. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's like a consistent lie. It's like that one lie Mm -hmm. you always deal with. Mm -hmm. What does that world look like for you?
2: Well,
1: I think it took me a long time to embrace that I was the lead person of the organization because I'm willing to clean the toilet or I'm willing to you know, do whatever I have to do, right? Like I don't put myself on a pedestal and say, well, I'm I'm the president and CEO, so I'm not gonna do that. And that's just not the type of person that I am. So it took me a long time to kind of embrace that that was the role that I had. And I had a really awesome uh, board chairman and board uh, it was our first female board chairman. And she's a very um, high level, super awesome executive who kind of um, is, uh, you know, kind of a mentor to me. And she was all about, you're the freaking president and CEO here, okay? You're only hurting the organization by not embracing that. And that's when it kind of hit me like, oh, you're right. Like my credibility, my professionalism, my, um, you know, kind of of leadership. And you know what? Quite frankly, I, I do have some things to offer, right? So what's wrong with me embracing that or owning that? Now I have doubts every single day about maybe I said the wrong thing or I did the wrong thing. And a few times a year, I probably tell my husband like, why the heck am I in charge of this organization? Because there's like five other people who work here who could do this and should do this, you know, which I think is a good thing. Um, But anyway, so I think that I just have to think about, and it's same thing in a for-profit world. What's the best thing for the business? And it's letting that go. And it's hard to do that. But it's letting that go and owning your power, if you will, Mm -hmm. and and reminding yourself of what you're really good at. Mm -hmm. And then I think for me, reminding myself that the things I'm not good at, there's a lot of people around me that are really good at it. And it's okay for me not to be good at it. Mm -hmm. And I purposely that was intentional Mm -hmm. to say, for example, it talked about the recognition piece. I'm not really good at thinking of ways to recognize people, which is kind of sad, but I've got awesome people around me who are really good at it. Mm -hmm. So leaning on them.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: and being open and being vulnerable about Mm -hmm. things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that has earned a lot of respect with me. I hope it has with my team and my peers is that I am super willing to be the first person to say, yeah, I don't know that. And should I be this like stuffy president and CEO that, you know, wears a business suit every day and is like, well, I am a woman who has worked really hard to get here and I know everything. And then like go Google stuff in the corner. It's just... I'm going to lose so much credibility if I do that. And then guess what? RMHC is going to lose a lot of credibility. That's mm-hmm. not why I'm here. So I think it's it's being open to say, yeah, there's things I don't know. And there's, you know, but guess what? I'm surrounded by people who do and I can lean on them and I'm super comfortable leaning on them. Mm-hmm. And so now, um, you know, I'm still working through like if I run into somebody at the grocery store and they're like, oh, well, honey, this is my boss. I'm like, nope, nope. Just a coworker. Nice to meet you. Like I'm still uncomfortable. 10 years later with people saying, this is my boss Mm -hmm. or this is my boss's boss. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, we had an employee that's a big joke around the organization. We had an employee who, um, has the sweetest husband you've ever met. And he, he'll say things like, oh, the CEO is going to be at the meeting you have today. You're going to wear that. Mm -hmm. Or like we had a Christmas party that was real casual and he just could not, he made her change. He was like, you cannot go to the Christmas party, (laughs) which was like at board and brush, which is like, where you like. You're drilling and like painting wood, like you're getting all dirty and gross and okay. sawdusty. And, um, you know, and so, uh, and so it's like kind of our little joke. It's totally innocent and sweet, but it's so funny because when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, what, mm-hmm. that is not who I am mm-hmm. or who I want to be. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do have to be that because yeah. that's what the organization needs.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think, um, someone used the term last year with me, they said humble confidence. And it really resonated with me. And and the more I, when I think about like the best leaders Mm -hmm. who I really like to be around and you would be in that bucket, I think of people who are really humble and Mm -hmm. authentic Mm -hmm. and there's no conversation of like, well, what's my executive presence like? Yeah, yeah. You know, which is such an exhausting term.
1: And it was exhausting me to
0: do that. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's like, how do I be really humble? And I'm, I'm going to own where I'm weak, but at the same time, I'm really confident. And I was talking to a guy yesterday who said, you know, people in general have to do a better job of knowing when to listen instead of when to speak. And I, I thought, I thought, yeah, but I also know more often than not, people don't think what they have to offer is, is worth. Va- exactly. And so I, for a lot of people, the encouragement is is to be that confident, you know, yeah, I got hired as the CEO and I, I have something to offer. Yeah. And I, I'm going to help run this mm-hmm. ship until it's no longer my duty and it's yeah. okay to own that.
1: Yeah, you exactly. Know? And that's what, you know, your God-given talents and your God-given skill sets, somebody recognized you that and put you in that position. So while I'm always, I mean, like every day I'm reading some book or listening to a podcast like this one, (laughs) uh, or including this one, or, you know, so I'm, I, I totally know that I don't Mm -hmm. know everything. And that even when I'm 70 and I'm the CEO of a company or a nonprofit, I'm still not going to know everything. Right. Right. And I think if you keep that perspective, too, then imposter syndrome can't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to happen like it's going to creep up. And again, that's fear. Mm-hmm. It's fear that you're going to let somebody down like, oh, they hired me to be this person and I'm not this person. Or right. it's fear that your team's going to be like, why is she my boss? Because she's dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's all about fear. So, you know, trying to overcome that by focusing on your strengths Mm-hmm. I think really helps.
0: And I think surrounding with yourself with yeah. people who can remind you of Ooh. you're awesome. Yeah. You know, I can speak that into you.
1: And you know what? I've got um, at least one person for sure on our team who um, is probably the person that will let me know the most when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. or when I'm not being true to myself or mm-hmm. when I'm, hey, you know, you preach candidness and then you have been putting this conversation off. When are you going to mm-hmm. do that? Mm-hmm. So when that person tells me that I'm doing a good job, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Like I am smiling from ear to ear for mm-hmm. a week when that person's like, well, you know, like you're no one else could ever do this job. Like she'll say things like that occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, my shoulders are yeah. a little <laughs> straighter and I'm going to sit up a little bit taller. So you're right. Having those people and recognizing those people are. Yeah. And if it's your spouse, it's really cool because then you hear it all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's no little it. secret.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I really uh, have loved this episode. I really appreciate it. I feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. I know.
1: So I hope, I, I hope this is going to be helpful to I think
0: people. it will be. Yeah. Okay. No, I I think um, there's so many things to unpack and um, I think there's so much still to be said. So we'll have to do this again. I was going
1: to say there might have to be like yeah. a episode two.
0: Yeah. Follow up. Yeah. Um, is there, I don't know how active you are if you're on like LinkedIn or, or where you are, but... Um, I know. So we have we have people in our northwest Arkansas community who listen to this podcast, but mm-hmm. then I also have people who this makes me sound super important. And you it's, are, I'm not. You are, but literally people all over the world, like South America, India, UK. So cool. So people who've never met you. Hopefully, and,
1: it's some RMHC people hey, out
0: there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you might, there might even be people who are like, you know, this must be, you know, like the most. It, I think to to meet you would be just phenomenal for a lot of these people, but. Uh, is there a way that they can stay engaged with you? Is there a way that you know, I don't know how active you are on social media where they can just follow your content. What does that look like?
1: No, but that's a good (laughs) idea. I should do that. You need to listen
0: to my branding episode.
1: Okay, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I'm on LinkedIn and that's great. Um, But also I'm happy if people want to email me. Okay. I love to visit with people. And I think that's part of our mission is Ronald McDonald House too. And, you know, what we try to do is we try to never say no Mm-hmm. So even if somebody says, hey, I need such and such for my kids. Well, it's not something that we do, but we're going to help you find somebody who does. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same thing with leadership. Like, well, here's some things we've done. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll help you. You know, mm-hmm. why keep to yourself what you've learned? So mm-hmm. my email, I'm going to share that. Yeah. Is Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at R-M-H-C of Arcoma, which is A-R-K-O-M-A.org. I'm sure Blake will put it in the comments. I will. Yeah. I'll Swipe put it- up.
0: No, yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> well, and I love that you shared it too, because I was actually wondering if you were going to, because yeah. again, and and I knew you would, but a lot of people are like, yeah, reach out to me. But then they, like, they don't, don't, really, really. don't really reach out to yeah. me. So uh, definitely shoot Stephanie an email if you have questions about your business. I, seriously, not even if, if let's just even, you know, definitely for you, if you run a nonprofit, but especially if you need business help. Uh, well, I mean, I prefer you would hire me, but. Well, but,
1: that's the goal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I learned everything
1: from Blake. Whatever. Okay.
0: Definitely reach out to Stephanie. She knows what she's talking about. Um, As always, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please let me know. Uh, Send me an email, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, that's going to be it for today. And uh, I'll catch all you guys later. See ya.
1: Thanks.